chapter one. Let's start something new today. You know, we always start something new and run it as far as we can. I'm going to call this the way of the successful Christian. May change it next week. Depends on how it flows and goes. But I know it'll fit under that. Romans chapter one. And this is such a unique scripture because it is repeated two other times in the Bible. Let's look in chapter 1, verse 17. Let's read it together, verse 17. Ready? Read. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What is written? The just shall live by faith. And so uh, if you looked in, uh, in your margin there somewhere, it would tell you where that it is written. I did not look it up. Where is that written? Well, it's in there. I think it's in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4. The interesting thing is that it's also repeated in Galatians 3.11. The just shall live by faith. What's even more amazing, it's repeated again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. The just shall live by faith. So four times in your Bible, the word of God says the just or the righteous, the born again, should live, shall live by faith. Isn't that interesting that something that's that repeated, that's scattered throughout the word, would be something that we would say, yeah, 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 whatever. I think the Lord has an intention on how we're supposed to live our life. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seven says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. So the just shall live by faith. And then Paul said, we walk by faith. I looked it up in the Weist translation, which is kind of a different kind of amplified. And it says, through faith, we are ordering our manner of life. Through faith, we are ordering our manner of life. Let's say that together. Through faith, we are ordering our manner of life. Well, that's quite a prodigious statement because how we order our life is very key to your life, whether you're going to live it by sight, by senses, by culture, by experience, by preference, whatever you feel like doing. Or if we're going to throw all that out and say that's going to take the second place to I'm going to walk by faith, I'm going to live by faith. It's quite a command. It's so short, it doesn't go on to it much, but it's quite a command. The Amplified says we regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction. We regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction. So it overrides how we feel, how we want. The rest of that verse at the end of it says not by sight or appearance. So if we took out that middle part in the Amplified and just said we regulate our lives and conduct and conduct ourselves by our conviction, not by sight or appearance. Could I have a better amen? amen. That's how we live the good life. Is we live by faith and we walk by faith not by our senses, not by, uh, yes, some people, how, you, how, how, how is your day? Well, it's going pretty good. 
But the life of faith says, I'm having an amazing day. It's just, it's over the top. Really, what's happening? The usual. Don't you have any troubles? None that matter. I'm living by faith. So even that, that we were in uh, Psalm 23, I saw that when we were there and I had not seen it before. It says, uh, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How many of y'all know that's a faith statement? We all are saying by faith, I am walking through the valley, not to the valley, not stuck in the valley. I'm walking through the valley of shadow of death. And he goes on about how that'll do. So it's a faith. It's a faith life. And it's because we're so easily able and because we spend so much of our life in the natural realm, just navigating life, driving a car and fixing supper and going to work. That's all got a lot of natural to it, a lot of sense things to it. It's really difficult or challenging to step out of that on purpose and live by faith. But how many of y'all know we have that option every day? There's something to live by faith. So I believe he's saying here that a born again believer, we're supposed to opt out of natural living and opt in to the faith life. Well, what does that mean? Well, the whole book's, the whole book's written about that, isn't it? The whole book is written about how to live by faith, how to walk by faith. Uh, if you, let's see, I'm going back to, let's see, 2 Corinthians 5. I, had, I didn't have y'all turn there, but I'm going to slip back there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So we need to look and see what that follows, what, what it follows. So we go back up to verse 6, and it says, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So he's talking about living in this body. He said, we're not in heaven with him, where everything is supernatural Everything turns out amazing. Everything is supplied. There is no devil. There is no fear. There is no sin. There is no pain. There's no lack. It's perfect. But he says here that we are absent from the Lord. Right now we are absent from the Lord. But then he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. There's a implication there that we can live like we're living, going to live in heaven now, well, how do you do that? We walk by faith and not by sight or our senses. So it's up to me. It's up to me. The Lord doesn't just say, I, I got this. I'm going to put you on autopilot. No, I, I can opt out any time. I can live as soulishly and carnally and as fleshly as I want to. Still going to be a Christian. Because I've been changed. I've been I've been transformed. I've been regenerated, but I'm going to have a terrible natural life if I don't live by faith. So we're always having to opt out of options to live by faith. Amen. Uh, the the CEV. Contemporary English version, I'm going to guess that 
As long as we are in these bodies, we are away from the Lord, but we live by faith, not by what we see. Well, there's a lot of looking and seeing all day long. And so where it's a constant opting out to live by faith. So that means we have to order our, what we see. We have, to, we have to turn before we see evil or see the negative or listen to the negative. We've been saying around here in prayer that we don't have a right to complain about anything that we haven't been willing to pray about. So if you hadn't prayed for somebody, you can't really complain about them. Boy, that'll shorten your gripe list. <laughs> uh, complain about government. Well, there's a long avenue, a broad spectrum. You could, you could go on for days, but we really don't have the right unless we've prayed about it. Well, the same thing with our own lives. If we don't opt out of the natural, we don't really have a right to complain about the natural. In other words, I don't have any money. We're always broke. It's poor around here. It's, we never have enough. Well, until you opt into faith, it says, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. He opens the windows of heaven for me, pours me out such a blessing that I'm not easily able to contain it. I have all sufficiency in all things. I abound to every good work. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for my sake he became poor, that I, through his poverty, might be made rich. So until you've said that, you really don't have a right or a complaint about your situation. So we're opting out of the, the natural every chance we get and increasingly more. Uh, in Matthew chapter 14, I, I'm not going to go there, but it's at the end of chapter 14. Jesus, the Lord Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what the word says. So our experience, when it differs from what the word says, has to be reconciled. If you balance your bank statement and you're a dollar sixty six off, you can just agree with the bank and move on or you can go find that buck sixty six. Well, we always go find it. How about you? Sometimes it takes a long time to find that little. It's not worth it. So uh, turn with me to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter three. I want to talk about the way of the successful Christian. The way of the successful Christian. So we're all Christians. We're all born again. We're all in the kingdom. Alive unto God, children of God, join heirs with Jesus. We'll all be in heaven. But the word talks to us about having days of heaven here on earth. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Let's, let's talk about the way of the successful Christian. Verse 7, wherefore, whereof, excuse me, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of the gift of, of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Wow, that's Paul. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? You know, it's wonderful to have someone tell the truth. His riches are unsearchable. However used to you, we get used to them, 
they are unsearchable. He said, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery or to see what their part of the mystery is, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So we have a witness here that everything that's been created was created by the Lord Jesus. Verse 10, to the intent, why, why do we say all that? To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Let's read that again. The intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. See, if we were to slip over to chapter six, we would see uh, uh, in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That's the four categories of the four types of beings that are on the demonic side in the heavenlies, in the, in the atmosphere. Well, here back in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says, Now unto the tent that now unto the principalities and powers in heaven might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What is he saying there? Who's, who is going to demonstrate the wisdom of God? Well, we are. Well, that's a surprise. If you look at some Christians, you say, I love you, but you're dumb as a rock. You know, there is just nothing godly or, or good about you. But there's help for you. We're going to help you. But instead, he says the manifold or the multi-purposed, multifaceted wisdom of God that covers everything, everywhere, all the time is, been, is going to be demonstrated by the church. Wow. God thinks a lot about the church. He thinks the church is, what would you call, special, amazing, astonishing, oh, overwhelming. He thinks the church is some kind of something. Now, we don't always have that regard for it. I looked in the message translation. Did you find that, Barry? Okay, well, let's, let's look at that together. Paul says, I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. I like it when they tell the truth about the Lord Jesus. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Now look at the, here. Here it is. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Maybe we ought to upgrade our opinion of the church based on God's opinion of the church. Maybe there's more here than we thought. Maybe our potential and our capacity is much greater than what we even assumed because we're so naturally or tempted to be naturally minded. 
to walk by sight instead of walking by faith. Oh, my. So if he thinks that about us, maybe it's in us and we were not aware. He says you've got it. He said it's in you. He said it's all over you, church. And there's some giddy up to be done to bring it out. In other words, if you don't know you have it, you're not looking for it and you're sure not demonstrating it. But if they say you've got it, we've got it, it's here, we might look around. You know, it's that second when, you, when you've lost your knife or your billfold or your phone or whatever. I'm always looking for all that stuff. You make a precursory search. You just hit the high spots because you don't want to start digging deep until you've eliminated the easy, obvious, and, and she always knows where it's at. But then you make that second sweep because you got to find it. you gotta, you got to find it. Well, that's the way the wisdom of God is. Maybe we've made an initial sweep and we didn't find the wisdom of God, but now we're going to go deep. And we're going to assume that the word of God is true. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, the extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels, even among the angels. You know, in the end days, we're going to rule over the angels. We judge them and rule over them. The Amplified says <laughs> the purpose is that through the church, the complicated many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. Wow. See, so we're not worms. We're not old sinners saved by grace. We're not the dregs of the world and the scourge and the out. Uh, that outscouring of the world. We're kings and priests. And we got the wisdom of God. He, where did you put the wisdom, Lord? Where'd you put all the wisdom? I put it in you. And we could even say, I just thought of it, but in 1 Corinthians, uh, let me just look real quick and I'll read you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says in verse, uh, or maybe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, nope, first. Well, anyway, it says he has been, he has been made. We have been made unto him the wisdom of God. It'd be better if I found it. You know, sometimes when you put a new Bible in, you don't know where stuff is. Here it is. Verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. He's been made unto us wisdom. Where is the wisdom of God? It's right here. It's in you. You born-again believers, children of God, join heirs with Jesus. That's where God hid his wisdom. So now that we have it, and we know that we have it, we can start using it and acting like it. Who knew that the church was rich? But it says that he, made, he was made poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. Who knew that we were rich? 
Look around. How much money do you got? How many cars do you drive? How, what kind of house do you live in? We'd say, there's no rich here. Oh, you'd be wrong. It's here. It's here. It's here and it's here right now. Well, how do we know that? The just shall live by faith. We will not live by appearance and the senses. We're going to live by faith. We're going to believe what the word says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right. Well, there's not much in my place. Yes, there is. You just hadn't made the second sweep yet looking for that for that wisdom there. And slip slip into Second Corinthians, if you would. Second Corinthians chapter four. We've got several scriptures this morning. What we're looking for in church is a transaction during the what we call the sermon time or the word time. I'm, I'm entreating you and Holy Ghost is working in all of us to change our mind about something to adjust. And it's always his job, his intent to adjust us up. Because we do slip back during the week. We're in the world of lack. We're in the world of sickness. We're in the world of evil and mean and stupid. Stupid is everywhere. <laughs> it's exponential out there. And so we, we get that rub in the natural world that we're in to thinking one way. And when we come back into the word, as you go to the word in your word time, and as we come together, we're, we change our minds and reset. I said, we all have a reset. Unless we're just going to preach what everybody already believes, there's no reset in that. If we just confirm we're all poor and we're all sick and we're all cursed and we're all in trouble, the devil's big and God's little. If we were to confirm that supposition, that ideology, then we've done nothing. We've had no transaction. Well, we're here to change our minds. Not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. So it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Would you go there? He said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Now, isn't it amazing that when once you get born again, it seems so clear and so evident why anybody would get born again? It's like this is a slam dunk. This is easy. Everybody ought to get born again. Would you all agree with me there? It's like this is good and there's no downside. But before you got born again, you didn't see it. It was right there. But you and I didn't see it. Well, why? It's because the. Uh, the God of this world hath blinded of the minds of them that believeth not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So it's called revelation. We've been looking at that. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we have to have revelation to see it like it is. You don't see yourself as rich 
If you know how much money's in your account and how much you owe on your car and you're living in an apartment or, or whatever, you go, this isn't rich. We're doing okay, fine, everything's, everything's on time, but I don't see myself as rich. Well, that's because you would be walking by sight, by senses, by accounting principles, by, by common sense. He said, we got to give you an upgrade. Oh, the new birth. I got an upgrade. I got an upgrade. I got, I got the, the ability was infused in all of us to see it by revelation, to see it. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. Suddenly we have a father that's shining the light of the glorious gospel into us. And we're seeing. We're seeing what we never saw. Well, why didn't we see it? Because we weren't born again. Or we went to a church or a, a, believed a, a gospel that says this is all there is. You're an old son, sinner saved by grace. Heaven is the only benefit that you got when you got saved. I want to tell you that's a big, big part of their doctrine. Is you, praise God, you go to heaven. Well, how do I get that? You got to die. <laughs> well, I'm not ready to die. Well, then you're going to have to act like sinners living on the earth until you die. And the good, good, the good news comes after you die. Well, that's not how it is. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full now. Praise God. Uh, let me go on, verse 7. But we have this treasure, this glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, in our bodies that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So nobody would say God showed up with you or me. They'd say Melissa showed up and Lynn showed up and Michael showed up. That's not God. But when the excellency of his glory comes out of us, they say, ooh, that's God. Because we know they're not that smart. They're just like us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Ah, there's more here than we thought. This new birth thing brought us more than we thought. Because we didn't, we may have got a tingle on that day. Likely did not. The day you got born again probably didn't feel anything had a confidence, you had a comfort in your soul that the sin and the hell and the, and the damnation issue had been solved and you felt good about that. I got that thing down out of my life. I'm not afraid anymore to die. But after that, on Monday, after the Sunday you got born again, it's back to business. You got to go to work. You got to pay the bills. You got to drive, get gas. Life went on. But life never changed like it did then. Uh, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Let's put it in first person together. I have the mind of Christ. Let's do it better. I have the mind of Christ. Not going to get it, not going to develop it, not going to ease into it, not have a gradient that says someday, some way, we'll do a little better. He said, you got it right now. At the new birth, we got the mind of Christ. You got the mind of Michael up here, if you're up here. I've road tested that in every way, and it's, it's highly overrated, I can tell you. This part up here. But down here, highly underrated. This thing is everything. The mind of Christ down here is everything. 
So when he says we should walk by faith and not by sight, he's talking about drawing out of this versus out of this. Accessing my life, making my decisions, turning my, my life into the wind of his assignment, his plan, his glory for me. Opening up my sails to catch everything that the kingdom has. I got to do it down here because nothing's happening up here. Paul said in one place, he said, I find that in me, there is in my flesh, there is no good thing. Well, so much for exalting the flesh. There is no good thing, he said. Hallelujah. So here's the conclusion. And that's what we have to conclude in Christ Jesus. You are a problem solver. Well, how do I know that? Because the whole wisdom of God has been invested in you and me. The manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God is in the church. And I am, you are the church. It's not over there. It's not on Fifth Street. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And God said, I put the wisdom of God. I hid it from the world and I put it in my children. Sounds just like the father to put his best stuff in his kids. That's what you do, isn't it? At least until they get grown. <laughs> you might change your mind after that. huh? So in Christ Jesus, I'm a problem solver. In Christ Jesus. I have the answer. The answer to what? Whatever the question is, whatever the question is, you got troubles. No, you don't. You just don't know you have the answer. Troubles are everywhere. The Lord Jesus said that in John 16. He said in the world you have troubles. But then Corinthians, he said, but you got the mind of Christ. He said, Be good news. I've overcome the world and you have my mind. You have my ability. You have my wisdom. Solve it. Fix it. So let's say this. This would be totally contrary to uh, the world's experience. I solve hard problems with confidence. Did you know that's all the world's thinking about? That is it. That's total. They are always waking up every day and saying, I wonder what's waiting on me today. And we've all been tempted to say, oh, my, it's Monday. And I know what's waiting for me today. And it's, it's never good. It's never like, oh, yay, Monday's here. I get to crank. I need to crank out some answers here. But that's exactly who you are. I'm a problem solver. I'm created to solve problems. I don't run from them. I don't shirk them. I don't hide from them. Bring them. Bring them. I am a problem solver. I have the wisdom of God. I can fix anything. Well, now, do you know how important that would make you in the world? You're not just someone that's bragging about nanny nunu. I'm going to heaven. Or where are you going? That's not even our greatest virtue, if it's a virtue at all. It's very personal. It doesn't help anybody else. But if I can solve somebody's problems, suddenly they would like to listen to what else I might have to say. If you would slip into Proverbs chapter four, you know, the wisdom thing 
in Proverbs chapter 4. This is real good. I'm a problem solver. I'm in Christ Jesus, the greater one in me, greater is he that is in me. He always causes me to triumph in him. Hallelujah. As he is, so am I in this world, 1 John says. <laughs> Remember that time, that the bracelet time when it said, what would Jesus do? He'd fix it. Well, what would somebody that's in Jesus do? Whatever Jesus would do. The Amplified says we hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. We have the mind of Christ. So it says in Proverbs chapter 4, look in verse 1 if you would. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender, and beloved, only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. Verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. What a promise. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, therefore, get the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, exalt wisdom. Make it a treasure, make it a sought after, make it first, put it in the priority. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. Promote yourself, and you won't get promoted. Promote wisdom, and she will promote you in a way that you can never attain on your own. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver unto thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life may be many. I have taught thee in the paths of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and whence thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her for she is your life. Amen. Amen. Well, verse 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Now, that's the Bible. That's the Word of God. Well, the truth is, wisdom came into you and I. But it doesn't matter if we had to go listen to somebody else to get wisdom, as they did in the Old Testament, or if it's been downloaded inside of us. It's a part of the Operating system, like a computer. It's, it, it is our OS. I am wise. I am wise. I am wise. You go, well, what grade did you finish? And how much college do you have? And, and who, what what your folks do? That's up here. We, we and I are not even talking about that. I'm steady. I'm a good learner. I, I'm all those things that you could make attributes of your soul, of your mind, will, and emotions. But we're talking down here, the mind of Christ, the part that's been regenerated into the very image and likeness of God. He's smart, and I got everything he has. I'm not him. We're not him. 
but we have everything he has. So God's commandment for us to live is to say, live by the wisdom of God. Wisdom is the principal thing. Now, if I was to read to you verse 7 in the worldly command, as men, the culture, the culture, then we would say money is the principal thing. Tell me when I miss it here. Therefore, get money and with all thy getting, get more money and a good plan to keep your money. Well, that's a lifetime struggle. You, you can never let up because money can go and then someone can steal it, break in and Chapter 16, verse 16, it says, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold? Ah, oh, that seems a little hard to believe. Gold is good. He said wisdom's better because gold is in wisdom. And there might not be any wisdom in gold. He said, and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. So there's a strong distinction made concerning our pursuit. Now, we all need money. Money is good, but I'll tell you, money's everywhere. It's not in short supply. Money is everywhere. Well, I don't have any of it. Ah, get wisdom and it'll be all over you. It'll come without you working. For, I mean, without you pursuing it. Yeah, you still need to go to work. We go to work. We don't we don't make our living from our working. We make our living from our giving. And so as you transition from one system to another, the system of working for a living, where you know how much you make an hour or a month or whatever your salary, however it's figured, and you know pretty much what's coming, and you lay down your life in one dimension, I'll give you 40 hours of my life, and they say, well, okay, you pick up your life in another dimension. So you lay down your life in labor, expertise, time, uh, whatever, and you pick it up in little green slips of paper called money. And uh, depending on how much you can lay down your life for, how valuable you are, depends on how much you can pick up your life in another dimension. So back when you started out, when I, when I was first got out of high school, I went to a company that helped uh, college-bound boys uh, called Oil Development, and we were rastabats on a, in an oil field. And we hoed weeds and moved big rigs and all that. We were nobodies from nowhere, but it paid $6 an hour. And I'm telling you, we were, we were high on the tipping rod. We, six bucks, six and a quarter an hour. Wow. $240 a week, I'm telling you. There was some strutting going on there. Because everybody else was making three and a half. But I don't want to make six and a half dollars an hour anymore. It, it won't get it. But even $20 or $30 or whatever you think is a high wage. And it's, it's hard, you know, talking to everybody, it's hard to say what a wage is. But wherever you are and you think, boy, if I could make that, you still wouldn't have enough. Because as it comes in, the system of the world is that it goes out. You go, man, when we get the car, here's how he thinks. When we get the car paid off, we're going to have money everywhere. As soon as we get Johnny Jr. off to school, money is going to be everywhere. We'll be awash in cash. 
And I've looked at a lot of people, including myself, and it's like, that didn't work out like I thought. We, we just, it just didn't, it just, it didn't just stay. It had been going and it quit going, but it, you know what I mean. Money is the principal thing, the world says. With all, therefore, get money, and with all thy getting, get more money, and a good plan to keep your money. So the evidence of wisdom. What is the evidence of wisdom? It's pursuit. A wise man is known by pursuing wisdom. A foolish man will not pursue wisdom. It's not that he just doesn't have any. He doesn't believe it's the answer. Therefore, by that, he's not wise. That's why you're here this morning. You're depending on a transaction from heaven, not from Michael Billings, not from me, dear God. But in this atmosphere of transaction, this trans, this this environment that we're in right now, the anointing of God that's here to to download into your life something that fits only you. But yet at the same time, in the same word, it'll fit everybody else, too. But if we had you write down, what did you get this morning? What was the transaction? It'd come in all different ways. So praise God. The evidence of wisdom is the pursuit of it. That's why we read wisdom. He's been made unto his wisdom. So he is in this book. He is this book. So I've, I've been, I want to go to this scripture. Well, we won't go there, but I'll read your scripture that I've been meditating all week long. And I've just I've been filling up Deborah Ann all week long. I've been chattering about this. It's in First Samuel 17. Don't go there. It's verse 36. And the story is David and Goliath. And we all know the story. And we know that David. Uh, he whooped the lion and he whooped the bear. And then he said, because God had me empowered to do that, Goliath will not be a problem. Now, what I want to tell you this morning is that you and I have the same opportunity to beat the Goliath, to be a problem solver, to fix every situation. But the way to do it is, is to glorify or to bring uh, value and worth to what he's already done. In other words, if you don't do that, you're just starting flat-footed for the first time. But if you'll bring in the past testimonies and build on them, the answer for your newest giant will come. Let me read it to you. Thy servant, David, said, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Why? Seeing that he hath defied the armies of the living God. So we're going to, he's taken up God's cause. He didn't just say he's got bad breath and we just, we want him out of, out of range. He said, this boy's got to go because of God. And see, you and I have to prosper because of who you are in God. Well, I don't care if I have this or have that. Oh, yes, you do. You need a shiny car. A nice one. You go, I don't care. Well, we don't. 
but it is the testimony. And you, and you can get in the ditch about this. You, you could go the other way and just say, well, we're going to get everything and stack it up so people will see. But I'm telling you, wealth is the evidence. It's the testimony of the covenant. We could go over to Ecclesiastes. It says there was a, 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 a big trouble in the city and the poor wise man answered the trouble, but nobody would listen to him because he was poor. That's what the word says. So you may be happy not having anything, but you have no testimony until you have something. Now, you don't, you don't have to agree with that. Don't throw me out if you don't like that, but uh, think on that. So thy, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, now here it is. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. Do you see how, what happened there? The power of yesterday was accessed into today. So I don't have to start on today by itself and just say, well, am I feeling odie? Am I feeling like I got a, a, a giant killing spirit on me? Do I feel like this? I don't have to because the residue or the, the, uh, the gravity of what he's already done is wanting to come forward and make my future as it was in the past, but on a higher level. Because all he did back then was deliver his father's sheep. But now he's going to deliver the whole nation. Oh, so that so this thing is progressive. So what you might do for something that doesn't have anything to do with anybody. Your testimony. Like being debt free, that's a testimony. You ought to tell that. Well, I don't have that one yet. Well, find whatever he Helped you pay off. Got your car paid off. You got your, you got your sewing machine paid off. Have you got your skillet paid off? <laughs> Go find three spoons and say, these are mine. I owe no man anything except these three spoons. I, whatever, you get the point. Find where you've been delivered and set free and go up from there. Boy, I love this. This is so, so, so God, David knew God's ways. Listen, David knew God's ways. Was David Solomon's father? Was Solomon smart? Ah, did Solomon say in the Proverbs, I attended my father's sayings? Oh, my. So that thing kept going down. Well, the Lord wants it to come down into you and me. Now, this is an old saying. I've just thought of it. Dr. Uh, Dr. Schombach used to say, you don't have any problems. You just need faith in God. Think about that. I don't have any troubles. I just need faith in God who's already solved all my problems. You think he knows how to get to the end of anything? Every time. That's what makes him who he is. But he said, I want you to be like me. So everything God does, listen, 
He does it according to a pattern. It's the same every time. He's got no trick plays. He's got nothing that's out of the book. He does it according to a pattern and he does everything based on a principle. So if we can find the principle and we can find the pattern, we can solve everything. This is this is good, y'all. You can fix anything if you know the pattern and you know the principle. You can you can just plug your deal in. You just plug it in and it's ching, 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 ching. Boom, it comes out like, well, how did you know that? It's the same every time. You don't have any unique problems. Well, I got a money issue. Well, that's not unique. Well, how do you fix that? There's a principle and a pattern to fix that. Like the pursuit of wisdom is the evidence of wisdom. So what's a testimony? Y'all, this church ought to know what a testimony is. It's God saying, I want to do it again. Well, that's what David discovered. He said, God wants to do this again. First of all, it was his mouth that was on the, the lion's mane as he was giving him the, 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 the rocky slug or whatever he was doing, put him out. I don't know how that went, but it had to be pretty bodacious because he, he was known as a little man. David was always known as a, about this tall. <laughs> Just right. And yet, and yet, so he, listen, this is what I want to say. He acknowledged that God was in him taking out the lion and the bear. It was his hands on the boy, on the, on the bear and on the lion. But he said, whatever happened in that afternoon, he said, God came on me and we did some whooping. And then so giving God the glory for that is what, which is what we should look back in our own lives and say, you know, that worked out real good for me. And I did sign the papers on time and I did. I was here and I was there, but it was him that did it through me. So David said it, it, it was him. And knowing that, knowing that, he said, it'll happen again. God wants to do it again. And so he followed that transaction. The lion, the bear, confirmed. He said, the giant will be nothing. And I want to remind y'all, we talked about this the other day, that David actually had to fight for the right to kill the giant. They did not want him out there. He, they did not think, it, that, that's suicide, son. He had to actually fight for the right. Well, we ought to fight for the right to solve problems. You got some troubles? Sure you do. Jesus said you would. No big deal. What are you facing right now? Quit looking at that. And start looking back at what you've already been empowered to win. Everybody in here has a testimony. I would, if it was me, and I had something facing me, I would go down and write down what I knew God had helped me in the past. I'd make a log. I'd, I'd make a testimony page of my own. Well, he helped me make this payment on my house payment. Where was that going to come from that month? And sure enough, it just showed up and I paid it. And we all have testimonies from the early days, which would be yesterday and beyond. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. So we ask this question, and I'm, I'm going to wind up with this. We ask this question, why does it take a lot of people, it takes all of their life to live their life? Think about that. Why does it take a lot of people, most people, it takes all of their life to live their life? Is because they're suffering under an unsolved problem or challenge or a mistake they made trying to get back. And so they never get ahead because they're always dealing with an issue that Jesus has already solved. So what are you thinking about right now? What are you thinking about? What's your issue? They change. Once, once you get everything paid for, that's not your issue anymore. Once you get yourself healed, that's not your issue anymore. But we got kin folks, we got... We got issues in there that God wants us to solve and to fix. Why is it that some people, it takes all of their life to live their life and they're not happy? But other people, they're at the right place at the right time and they're happy. And yet it's the same world and people are not that much different. People are generally of, uh, uh, you know, we're all the same. Just about. We have 24 hours. We have one body. We're all, we're all pretty much the same. So it, the problem may look different, but it's basically whatever level you're at, you got to fix it. Why is it that it puts some people under and other people are just happy with a life full of problems that they're just solving all the time? It's, it's revelation. It's knowing. It's knowing what's inside. So I wrote down three things. People have troubles when they react to the world and enter into their problems. We talked about this before church, about how it's, it's common for me to try to take on everybody's problems. I'll see somebody that's having a trouble and I say, well, why don't they do this? My common thing is, is if you'd go to church, I'll see someone mowing their grass on Sunday morning when we're coming to church. I say, go to church. I don't roll the window down, but I do tell them. I do point to them, go to church. It'll, you won't. So why do people have, it takes all of their life, is they enter into the world's problems. And uh, they can't solve them all. So it's a weight on them. Are y'all listening? Number two. Either, number one, or you can react to the word and you can enter into God's wisdom. And I'll tell you, peace comes. One way it comes is you don't, you, you quit solving everybody's problems. Remember we did that series a long time ago about there's 12 kinds of people that Jesus can't help and maybe you can't either? <laughs> Boy, if you... If you hold that list, I, I, I put that list, a man that I was working with, and I put that in his hand. I said, uh, my notes, and I said, go down that list and see which ones that don't apply to you. There was 12 things. Maybe Jesus can't help you when you don't think the word's the problem. Maybe Jesus can't help you when you think that God is the problem. Maybe Jesus can't help you when you think your problem is is because God doesn't like you. All these 12 things. 
And doggone, he only found two that didn't apply to him. Wake up. It's like, wake up. This, the, nobody can help you because you won't let God's wisdom into your life. So then the last thing, this is the one I like, is you engage to do what others can do. And then you don't get done what only you can do. You know, our little mantra here, the thing that, that the Lord really helped me so much with. He told me, Michael, I want you to start doing what only you can do so that you can do all I've called you to do. Boy, you'll solve a lot of problems when you get that. When you quit trying to help everybody do theirs, and they're, there's, they're a kind of people that God can't help. It doesn't mean that they're helpless or hopeless. It just means that they have to change their frame of mind. The Bible says that the prodigal came to himself and nobody could help him until he came to himself. And until that day, he was in the pig pen and he was eating pig pen food. And if you've ever been around pigs, it's not just that they get the food. It's just nasty everywhere. Just nasty. Cattle are not nasty. Swine are nasty. Oh, they're just terrible. And it stinks. It just... But anyway, he was hopeless until he came to himself. And you can't help anybody until they come to themselves. And how they come to themselves, they say, I must rise up and go to my father's house. I must go back to God. Until they say that, it doesn't matter how godly your answers are and how you can fix it and how you would fix it if it was you. It has nothing to do. If you do fix it for them, you give them money, facilitate them. You're just helping the poor to eat that day so they can live another day. But you can't fix them until they get revelation. Ah, I must rise up and go to my father's house. So do what only you can do. That'll narrow your, your wisdom quest. I'm going to do what only I can do. I, I said this to somebody last summer, and I, it had nothing to do with y'all, but I said it about y'all. I said, after this revelation, I said, if the grass gets two and a half feet tall around here, I'm not mowing it. And I've mowed grass all my ministry life. And I'm not too good to mow grass but I'm supposed to be doing something else. And you're supposed to be doing something else. Unless we hire you to do that and then go mow the grass. Do you get my point here? I'm trying to say, narrow your life down and do what only you can do and quit doing everybody else's stuff because you're not really helping them and you're not going to get finished with what God's called you to do. Mastery. Say it with me. Mastery. That is the kingdom principle and pattern is the Lord wants you and I to not be jack of all trade. He wants you to have mastery. He wants you to have mastery on healing the sick. Listen to me. He wants all of us to be have mastery on healing the sick. He wants you and I to have mastery over finances. That means we solve ours 
So we have a testimony to go help somebody else that says, I, I'm calling on God. I need his wisdom. And you step in and say, I am his wisdom for you at this moment. Do you hear me? We are going to write the book, so to speak, about relationships. We know how to forgive people. We know how to restore people. We know how to bring them back into fellowship with God. That's mastery. But most people, most Christians just say, you just never know what God's going to do. You just never know. You never know. You never know. And therefore, guess what they have? They never know. He wants us to have mastery. So I wrote down, do your part of life with excellence. With excellence, Michael. Do it with excellence. Do what only you can do so you can do it all with excellence. Don't be the jack of all trades. I've always been that. I can do, really, except electricity, I can do just about anything. But I'm not, not doing any of it anymore. I'm hiring it all done. And identify with wisdom. I got wisdom. Bring me your problem. And when I pray about it, the Lord will show me. Because I already whooped the lion. I've already whooped the bear. And your trouble is no trouble at all. Oh, that's an attitude. Yeah. The manifold wisdom of God is in the church. And I am the church. You are the church. We are the church. And lastly, we've got to give God the glory for all of it. Every victory came from him. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no variation or sh shadow of turning. If it's good, it came from God. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. The devil brought all the other stuff, but I've come that you might have it. So I want a transaction this morning. This morning, here it is at uh, 1143. And I'm, I am here and you are here for a transaction. In other words, I leave this place different than what I came. I think different. I'm looking for something different. I'm aware of something in me or on me or through me that's different than when I came in. Without that, all is lost. Without that, even Jesus can't help you. Maybe we can't either. Well, we're not that people. We're very teachable. We're very teachable. We're um, we've humbled ourselves and say, without him, I can do nothing. So, Lord, we thank you this morning for the word. A challenging word. Uh, a word to the heart. A word that says, this is how it is, and it won't be different. So we adjust. I adjust this morning, Lord. I acknowledge the greater one in me. I acknowledge that as he is, so am I right now. I acknowledge that God loves me right now. And there's nothing I can do to make it more or less. So, Lord, we leave this place with an attitude of mastery. We know what to do. Life is coming at us from every direction. But now we know how to handle it. It looks like a lion. It looks like a bear. That is no big deal. We can handle it, and we will. Thank you, Lord, for the victory in River Church, because we love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.